Hysteria is brought to you by Books. This Mother's Day, give mom her flowers. She deserves the best. That's why you should send her farm fresh flowers from Books. That's short for bouquets. And right now, you can get 25% off your entire Books purchase. Here's why everyone likes the Books company. Books is different. Their flowers are cut fresh and sourced directly from the best flower farms, so they last way longer. They even have flowers grown on the side of a volcano, which I love. Books has modern designs and unique flowers you can't find anywhere else. Books is simple. Go online, pick the delivery date, and you are done. Mother's Day is May 12th. Don't miss the chance to thank your mom. Order your books now. And with 20% off, you can send some to mom, wife, aunt, and even grandma. Erin, I love my books. I love a flower that lasts forever, and my books arrangements really do last a full solid week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have uh, I have some sitting on my kitchen table right now, mm-hmm. and they've been there for several days. And usually when I buy them at, like, the grocery store, they're sort of, like, starting to crap Fade. out pretty quickly. Yep. Not with books. They stick around. They look beautiful. I like how they kind of slowly open up and become even more beautiful as they sit on your, you know, wherever Absolutely, you Absolutely, because they're that fresh. So go to books.com and use promo code hysteria for 25% off. That's B-O-U-Q-S.com, promo code hysteria. Books, promo code hysteria. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. This week, Alyssa Mastromonaco and Dana Schwartz join to ask the following questions. Is Chief Justice John Roberts back to being disappointing again? What does it mean to stand up for yourself? And what country should be welcomed into the next Eurovision Song Contest? All this and more right now. We have a fun show today. I've been thinking a lot about asking for what you're worth and how hard that is. And because of Michaela Cole and Thandie Newton, I've been thinking about how fucking awesome it is when a high profile person talks honestly about it. So today we're going to talk about that. But first, we have some news to get to some discouraging developments in the Supreme Court involving birth control and discrimination, some tragic developments in the Vanessa Guillen case and I would say some schadenfreude-tastic developments in the Ghislaine Maxwell case. To get through all that, I'm going to chat with my friend, former White House Deputy Chief of Staff under President Obama, and the Julia Child of Jam, Alyssa Mastromonaco. Good day to you, Erin. So today is one of the days that we get to engage in, I would say, one of America's creepiest traditions. Which is? Which is old men making decisions on what women and people with uteruses are allowed to do with those uteruses. Um, these old men are also not doctors, generally speaking, and they're almost Mm-mm. they're almost never they've never been my doctor. My my doctor has never personally been involved in any <laughs> Supreme Court decisions. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court handed down two rulings that did not make. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts into the hero that we thought he was going to be. 
basically two cases did not go our way today. One of the cases was a case about whether or not religious organizations are subject to discrimination rules that other organizations are subject to. And another one was about whether or not bosses were able to object to the Obamacare birth control mandate. And the Supreme Court ruled basically that it's okay for religious organizations to discriminate against people uh, and also that it is okay for bosses to exclude birth control from healthcare coverage for basically no reason. Alyssa, what do you make of this development? I mean, we had to know. First of all, let's be clear. You and I never thought John Roberts was going to be a hero. We just thought he was less awful than usual. Yes. The past couple of decisions. Yes. Um, What do we make? Well, in the Little Sisters of the Poor, between 70,000 and 126,000 women will lose access to free contraception coverage through their employment health insurance, which seems really fucking bad. Seems bad. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Bad time to have a heart, not be able to decide whether or not you're going to have a kid. Right. To be like, you know what? It should, you're going to pay $40 a month for your Nuvering or whatever else it is. But then also tell me the way that the decision was written, it holds that the Trump administration had statutory authority to expand the exemption, but SCOTUS leaves open the possibility that it could be challenged as capricious and arbitrary. This is what happens when I read the SCOTUS blog. <laughs> so like there's a window of hope, but no, they were both terrible. It was a seven to two ruling on the birth yeah. control thing, which I found to be interesting uh, and bad interesting. I also want to point out that the other case that we're talking about, the um, religious uh, discrimination case, mm-hmm. really draws into relief the fact that the Bostock ruling from a few weeks ago, when basically LGBTQ people um, were included in the definition of uh sex in under the Civil Rights Act. That's actually not as good as we thought it was because religious employers now have um, a lot more latitude to fire people for reasons that they couldn't fire them for if they were secular right. employers. It's places that you don't expect. It's not just like I work in a church. It's you work in a Catholic hospital, mm-hmm. Catholic university. Catholic schools, right? Exactly. The people that um, were saying that they had been discriminated against in this case initially were teachers at um, religious schools. And this case was like, yeah, they can kind of, sure, they can discriminate against you. Right. Um, did you, by any chance, get to read any of our dynamic duo's dissents? in these two cases. And by dynamic duo, I mean... Sotomayor. And Ginsburg. Ginsburg. I did. I I actually, because this just happened, I read Sotomayor, but not Ginsburg. Sotomayor said of the decision to allow religious employers to ignore employment protections if uh, they play a religious role, Sotomayor wrote, that simplistic approach has no basis in law and strips thousands of school teachers of their legal protections. She came out swinging. She also said the sweeping result is profoundly unfair. The court is not only wrong on the facts, but its error also risks upending anti-discrimination protections for many employees of religious entities. And she said that the decision contained inherent injustice. So if you're mad about this ruling, I think Sotomayor's dissent might be some good therapy. Some good, yeah, like anger juice. You know, like sometimes you're just mad and you just want to drink a little of it and like anger juice. Yeah. You know? But, you know, I think by the time a lot of people hear this um, on Thursday or later, 
this won't be the headline when it comes to Supreme Court cases because we... What do you think it will be? Oh, my God. We're going to hear about the... Okay, say, look, news witches, we've talked about this. You and I are... It's... Everything we've done is right. Everything we've done is Come right. True. You know, I was thinking that the universe has been kind of swirling in a bad way for Donald Trump recently, um, especially <laughs> especially with his uh, disgruntled niece, Mary Trump's book, um, being basically released to enough media outlets that is it is essentially <laughs> out at this point. The Trump family, yeah, the Trump family's attempts to block the book from being released did not work. And as a result, we now know that Mary Trump thinks her uncle paid somebody to take his SATs. We we know even more about what a creepy weirdo Donald Trump is and was and has always been. But tomorrow, the Supreme Court is, is set to rule on um, two cases about Trump's tax returns, one um, from federal prosecutors who wanted to have access to his financial records, and another from uh, con- Congress trying to subpoena Trump's tax records and Trump saying no. I got a good feeling. I do too. I have a good feeling because honestly, it's kind of like if they say no, Mary Trump's just going to do it for us. <laughs> I know, exactly. He like, I was listening to um, the the podcast version of Rachel Maddow's show and she was reading parts of Mary Trump's oh, book. I do that before bed. Yeah, she was reading parts of the, like Donald Trump made up a fake drug problem for Mary Trump in front of her face. And she was like, no, I don't have a drug problem. And he just laughed. And I feel like the justices just need to get with what's happening on this one. I feel they need to read the room. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they've surprised us a couple times this term. We've had a few upside surprises. And, you know, today wasn't necessarily a downside surprise. It was just more like, have you ever gotten in a fight with somebody and you're like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. All the time. Yeah. It's like a state of being. Right. Because anger implies that you're surprised by it. Like, what the right. fuck? Disappointed is like, right. I thought you might do this. And I don't- You did. You did. I'm just, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You have lived up to my expectations in a bad way. Yes. You've lived down to my expectations. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I want to transition pretty quickly though, because um, we have to get to what I'm going to call the Nancy Grace part of the show. Oh, please do. Okay. The reason I'm calling it the Nancy Grace part of the show is because, A, we are talking about um, crimes that have happened and uh, women have been the victims of those crimes and they're the types of crimes that Nancy Grace would really glom onto. And the reason I know that is because I just discovered that Nancy Grace has a podcast and it is exactly like her show used to be, except now she, um, I was listening to her episode on Vanessa Guillen today and it is, she is furious. She's pissed. She is She's pissed. furious. So let's talk first about the Vanessa Guillen case. We haven't talked about it on the show yet, um, mm-hmm. but Vanessa Guillen was a 20-year-old specialist uh, who lived at and, and served in the army at Fort Hood. And she disappeared on April 22nd. And she was reported missing on April 23rd. And it seems like the army kind of slow rolled the investigation of the case. Um, on June 30th, they found some human remains near the army base, and um, they were confirmed to belong to Specialist Guillen. The man who is suspected of killing her was somehow allowed to leave the base, and he um, he killed himself. And the woman who helped him dispose of Guillen's body, which is really horrific, um, the woman who helped dispose of the body is still alive. And Nancy Grace 
wants her head on a pike, basically. Um, It's a horrifying crime, but the reason I wanted to talk about it on the show is that it really, it's not an isolated crime. Vanessa Guillen was an individual woman with an individual family and life and hopes and dreams. But the type of thing that happened to her is the type of thing that has happened to women in the military for a long time and hasn't been adequately addressed. Alyssa, what do you, what do you make of this case and like the larger issues that it brings to light for the military? There were two things that I thought were pretty interesting about the fallout in quotes of the case. One, did you read that Congresswoman Sylvia Garcia, uh, she called for a letter. Well, she called for the Pentagon to have an independent investigation of this and 90 members of Congress signed on. Yeah. Where are the other 300 plus? Like, yeah. Like, how is this a controversial thing to sign on to? Like, at first I read it and I was like, oh, that's nice. Like, the article was written such that it was like, and 90 people signed on. It's like, where is everybody else? Mm-hmm. And second, who thinks that if the Pentagon starts an IG into, an IG investigation into this, that that person's just not going to be fired by Donald Trump? Because, of course, why not? Yeah. Um, But no, I mean, look, she had told, allegedly, she had told friends and family that this person had sexually harassed her. Um, She understood that not a lot was going to happen if she reported it. Um, But the other thing that's kind of crazy is his girlfriend, um, Cicely, Mm -hmm. I think her name is Cicely Aguilar. Has she never listened to Nancy Grace? Does she not know how this turns out for the woman who is complicit? It is... She, she's always the one who's still alive at the end and the one who goes out on trial. Like it is, like she deserves whatever she gets for being so stupid for ignoring history. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to, little quick tangent. Um, Nancy Grace has, you know, there's some problems with her kind of, of course, methods and tones. And I, I was, when I was listening to her today, I was like, wow, she is like the original, like Karen archetype. Except, like, she's a very Karen, but about, like, it's, like, kind of sensational crime. Um, and I right. And I think that she's somebody that in the past a lot of people thought of as a person that really, really um, drew a lot of attention to crimes against white women and didn't really seem to care as much about crimes against black and brown women. And to see her paying as much attention and focusing as much rage as she is on the Vanessa Guillen case, when I was listening to her, I was like, is this growth? Is Nancy Grace, has she grown? It's growth. Has she grown? She, she, she has enough rage to go around. She has enough rage to highlight the atrocities against women of all colors, finally. Mm-hmm. So score one for Nancy Grace. And I also think about the type of women who listen to Nancy Grace. And it's not necessarily people like it's it's people that are like the kind of mythical suburban woman voter you know and right. when i right. see somebody like nancy grace being focused on the fact that the army has a systemic sexual harassment problem and focusing on the fact that vanessa gian's case was swept under the rug and really hammering on it i'm thinking the audience that listens to her is also hearing that too so does that mean mm-hmm. that you know I'm hoping that this case is horrific, but the amount of attention and the type of attention it's getting is indicative of a cultural shift that cares more 
about crimes like this and systemic issues in the military than it did even five years ago. Even when uh, Senator Gillibrand was like one of the only people in power talking about this, um, it feels like things have moved forward a little bit. And I really hope that, you know, if there was any sort of cover up, if there was complicit uh, behavior among higher ups in the army, that they are disciplined to the full extent that the army allows because it's a horrifying crime. And I just, I feel awful for Vanessa Guillen's family. And I, you know, I hope they, I hope they find some peace about all of this because it's it's just a horrible thing that happened. And get justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, speaking of justice. Um, oh, please. There was, that was a terrific segue. <laughs> there was an arrest uh, on a woman whose name I always need to look up the pronunciation of Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's accomplice, uh, who is always called as a, uh, she's always called a, a socialite, but I feel like she's more of a, so, a sociolite, you know? That's a good one. She's like a, a sociopathic socialite who um, is alleged to have helped Jeffrey Epstein recruit and groom young women uh, and girls to be sexually abused by the mysterious billionaire who somehow, this whole case makes me feel like Nancy Grace. (laughs) Because Erin, it's insane. She was a pedophile's sidekick and got rich doing it. And the word groom is a real, we need a better word. Yeah. Because grooming young girls makes it sound like they went to Miss Manners, (laughs) you know, like, They learned what fork to use. That's not what was happening. Right. And some of the stuff in these reports about her are so appalling and disgusting that she, in order to make young women, girls, if you will, feel comfortable, would chaperone sex acts with Jeffrey Epstein. Like, what is that? How desperate are you for money that you will accept that? And actually, she's just a depraved human being. And, you know, I hope that she actually has to... She has to speak for what she's done. Right. And um, Alan Dershowitz, the uh, inner... <laughs> that guy. Alan, Alan Dershowitz, who is the official mascot of the phrase dirty old man. Um, Alan Dershowitz has already rushed to her defense. The thing that is interesting about the Maxwell... Because she's defending him. Look. It's a circle of trust right there. It's a, it's a real creepy, gross, disgusting, predatory circle. The two things that I think are are super interesting about this is that Maxwell was taken down by a unit in the SDNY that normally handles things that have to do with public officials. She's not a public official. Therefore, she was must have been swept up in the investigation into somebody else. And I truly cannot wait to find out who the hell is also involved in this and where can I find a statue of them and tear it down? Like, I, I just really want to, <laughs> I really want to know, like, if, if there is like, it, it, it is a legitimately crazy case because it's like, wait, is there really a group of super powerful international pedophiles? Yes. And yes. it's like, oh my God, everything crazy that I ever thought was correct. Well, and you know what it kind of is too? It's like, you know, when you watch Law & Order SVU, which I do every day, and it always says, you know, stories depict, you know, are not based on actual events, may depict whatever. I'm like, everything that 
Olivia Benson has been hunting is true. Like Olivia Benson, there is actually an episode in the last season that is based entirely on this. And I got to tell you, in that episode, Olivia Benson brings down some big people. So I'm hoping she has the inside track on what exactly is going down here. Yeah. I also like a thing that I really love about this story is Julie K. Brown, the Miami Herald reporter who helped break mm-hmm. it open, um, is a complete badass. And she's she's completely not afraid of anything. Um, I also love that the survivors of Epstein and Maxwell are responsible for this all happening. Like they, yeah. and they get to see it. They get to see it happen. And, you know, there's a, there's a podcast about Epstein that is hosted by reporters that cover Epstein. There's a few Epstein mm. podcasts. Some of them are weird because I find it very <laughs> odd to hear a male voice like reading about Epstein's crimes, but like yeah, hearing the, anyway. Um, but, you know, it's, they talked about the survivors and how, um, how gratifying it was to hear SDNY officials talk about them in the press conference after Maxwell was arrested. By the way, Maxwell was arrested in New Hampshire, living in a giant sprawling estate, which is, uh, for some reason, I know that you don't live in New Hampshire, but I imagine like if you just drive a couple hours away, the neighbors get real weird from where you are. Yeah, it's about right. She could have been your neighbor. She could have been your neighbor. She could have been, but you know, someone at the farm stand would have reported having seen her (laughs) and we would have outed her for sure. Um, Okay. That's fair enough. Um, So yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad that she is arrested and and thus concludes the Nancy Grace portion of the show. Do you have any further thoughts on the Maxwell case? If any reporters are listening, please stop using the word groom and please start using the word pimp because that's what she did. She pimped them out. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on to um, toast and roast. Mm. I've got it. Mm. Okay, I have a toast and a roast, and they're related to each other. We're going to focus on you this week. Let's toast and roast. Okay, so I wanted to toast the WNBA. The WNBA is um, a league that has always, especially in recent years, been very inclusive and welcoming and cool and, dare I say, woke. And this season, the WNBA was planning on wearing the names of black women and brown women who had been killed by police violence on their jerseys in a kind of hashtag say her name sort of thing. And I think that, you know, corporate gestures are sometimes uh, sometimes ring a little hollow to me, but I, I think it's great that, that the WNBA has a platform and is using that platform to draw attention to a really important issue especially because black and brown women who are killed by police are often overlooked or relegated to sec- mm-hmm. second tier status. So toast to the WNBA for 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 planning on doing that. Toast. I'm Cheers. I, I'm for it. A roast to Georgia Senator Kelly Loeffler, who in addition the reigning queen of insider trading. Yeah, I was going to say in addition to to being essentially the Michael Jordan of congressional insider. No, let's be gender fair. <laughs> She's this the Cheryl Swoops of congressional insider trading, right? She's also Yeah. <laughs> She's also uh, a a part owner of the Atlanta WNBA team. And she wrote a letter to the commissioner of the WNBA asking hmm. for them to not put the names of women killed by police on jerseys of WNBA because she does not support Black Lives Matter. She wrote in the letter, quote, 
I adamantly oppose the Black Lives Matter political movement. She wants the players, instead of wearing jerseys with the names of people like Breonna Taylor on them, she wants the jerseys to have the American flag because flags are not political. Of course, not any, not now. Flags are not political anymore. You know what I'm going to guess? I'm going to guess the Black Lives Matter movement doesn't support her either. <laughs> yeah, feelings mutual, <laughs> Kelly. Um, also, yeah. if I were you, Kelly Loeffler, First of all, I would cut my hair. It's getting to be a homeschool length. It, she's a dogger. Very, very catty of me to say, but you know what? Plays stupid Sometimes. games, wins stupid prizes, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> second of all, Kelly, uh, if I were you, what I would be doing right now is keeping my head down as much mm -hmm. as possible and waiting for a ton of ground to uh, open up between me and the very recent public memory of me being an insider trader who basically escaped with nothing after I profited off a pandemic that I was warned about, but I didn't tell anybody else about. Um, she should maybe shut up. If I were her, I would- She should sit down. I would consider shutting up. Well, anyway, now the Atlanta dream um, doesn't want her- involved anymore. And a bunch of WNBA players have spoken up against Kelly Loeffler. I feel like, what is she even doing being involved in the WNBA at all? What what, what do you... It, it makes no sense. What are you like, doing? Like, how did she get mixed up in this? <laughs> it's like a classic, like, record scratch. I bet you're wondering how I got here. <laughs> like, did she win it in a bet? Yeah. I mean, did she did she drink too many glasses of Chardonnay and like was drunkenly online shopping, but she's got so much money that when she drunkenly online shops, she accidentally buys like a WNBA a team. team. A few like 10 days later, she has a box <laughs> on her front porch and she's like, oh, I, I own the Atlanta dream now. Honey. She's like, Chardonnay was strong. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Um, Alyssa, do you have any toaster roast this week? Anything you want to add? No. Nope. No, I just wanted to, I feel like yours should really stand on its own. <laughs> well, thank you. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk personal political. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Power up your life with superior brain and body nutrition products from IQ Bar. Their plant protein bars are the perfect low-carb breakfast. Their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks replenish electrolytes. And their IQ Joe Mushroom Coffees will keep you focused all day long. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. Their ultimate sampler pack includes all three. IQ Bar empowers doers with superior brain and body nutrition. All their products are entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, GMOs, and artificial sweeteners. And today, Hysteria listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text HYSTERIA to 64000. One thing I love about IQ Bar is, first of all, right now it's really dry where I am. Oh, okay. It is hard for me to stay hydrated. I, mean, I just like, I, I'll just be going through my day and I'll be like, why am I so like... Parched. I'm parched. I'm in a bad mood. I feel like I'm going to pass out. And it's, ah, you got to drink some water. You got to stay hydrated. I really like their IQ Mix Zero Sugar Hydration Drinks because it allows me to rehydrate myself at a time yeah. when I feel like the atmosphere is trying to take all my moisture away. Well, and sometimes you need more than just water. 
Sometimes you need more more than just water. I also love IQ bars because I love a portable breakfast. I love a grab-and-go breakfast. No dishes. Love something I can walk around holding and eating. I like something I can eat in my car without endangering the lives of me and every other motorist on the road. A breakfast burrito. <laughs> not, not the safest thing to eat behind the wheel. IQ bar, go ahead and do it. Good for you. Great ingredients. Helps you... Stay focused and alert throughout the day, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, and you don't have to dirty any dishes. Refuel smarter with IQ Bar's Ultimate Sampler Pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products plus get free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text Hysteria to 64000. Get your discount. Text Hysteria to 64000. That's H-Y-S-T-E-R-I-A to 64000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. And welcome back to more hysteria. Alyssa Master Monaco is still with me, but joining us is the host of the new podcast, Popcorn Book Club, uh, and friend of the show and host of what else? Noble Blood. Do you ha- how many podcasts yeah. do you have, Dana? I will not rest until I have more podcasts than anyone in in the Southern California area. <laughs> <laughs> That's Dana Schwartz. That's Dana's voice that you heard. Hi. Um, also, you can hear Tian Tran on Popcorn Book Club. Yes, yes, Tian Tran and a few other amazing funny women it's a really fun group you should listen yay what are you guys reading now we just finished i know this much is true which episodes are about to drop next week and now we're reading the hate you give by angie thomas that's a really relevant book right now yes i think that is exactly why we were like (laughs) you know what we should talk about a book that we should all talk about right now. you know what okay so i just started reading this book that came out earlier this year um, before the riots and everything, uh, the riots and the protests. And, and it's called Your House Will Pay. And it's by hmm. S- Steph Cha, who is a crime writer based in, she's an LA-based crime writer. Is it fiction it's, or not? It's fiction, but it's based on a real thing that happened in 1992, where um, it was during the, the the like riots in South Central in 1992. And an unarmed black girl was shot by a Korean shop owner in South Central. And the book, it, the, the book that I'm uh, almost done with it, it's really good, is about the two families and it flashes back and forth between 1992 and now. And I don't want to really give away any more of it because it's all kind of a fun reveal, but it's like, it's really good. And it's a quick read. It, it reminds me of, um, reminds me a little bit of like, Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, which is like really good pacing. And anyway, uh, Steph Cha's Your House Will Pay is also the same kind of. I'm going to look it up right after this. So I've been thinking a lot about, I was seeing Song of Summer trending today on Twitter before we started recording this show. And um, when I think of Song of the Summer, I think of songs that you hear playing from a deck around a pool as you enter a party full of people that you're friends with that you're talking to without masks on. Um, Alyssa, do you think that there's going to be a song of the summer in 2020? And if so, what do you think it would be? I mean, I honestly can't tell you. I am. I mean, if we're talking about modern music, I'd have to just take a pass because I haven't listened to modern music in 25 years. So if I had to pick one, 
I would say it would be Typical Situation by Dave Matthews Band because I love the 90s and because the refrain is everybody's happy, everybody's free, and that's just where I want to be. It's like, that's it. That's a good summary song. How about, yeah, right? Yeah. Windows down totally. back in the day, maybe smoking a joint, but that's not responsible, so we don't do that anymore. Oh, no, we don't drive and smoke joints at the same time. We sit in no, our houses don't. and we smoke joints. Responsibly. <laughs> we sit in the darkness. <laughs> yeah. Responsibly. No black lights anymore. We go for walks. We go for anxiety walks at one in the morning and we smoke joints to try to help us go to sleep because we have yes. fear insomnia. That's what we mm-hmm. do now. Anyway, everybody's happy. You're right. Um, Dana, what do you think the song yeah. of the summer would be? Uh, well, like other than like a primal scream, <laughs> uh, I do feel like the replacement for parties is the internet right now. So I feel like it would be something that's like trending on TikTok. And again, I'm so sorry if I'm like three months behind on TikTok trends, but like the Megan Thee Stallion song, Savage, maybe. Okay. <laughs> because, at, you know, at least you're like, okay, well, I'm not, going to a pool party. But if I open TikTok and scroll, that's where it is. Okay. Hmm. I think that's pretty good. Now let's, that's enough, that's <laughs> enough pandemic talk um, because we've been talking about the pandemic a lot. And this week I wanted to talk about something a little bit different and I didn't quite know what we would get into. And then two of, I think the baddest bitches in showbiz had pieces about them in Vulture, one right after the other. And I was like, why are both of these pieces making such a splash? And I realized that both of them are about these two women um, standing up for themselves in, in various ways. The first woman is Michaela Cole, who is the, the genius behind the show, I May Destroy You. And if you guys haven't been watching it, shame on you. It's uh, incredible. It's on HBO. Um, the second one is Thandie Newton. And... Uh, Dana, did you read the two articles and what? I did. And I do just, I want to uh, jump in really quick. I think another similarity is they're both written by E. Alex Jung, who's a who's a, a really great interviewer and, and writer. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, he's just shooting out exactly what people want to read right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I read them both. I thought they were phenomenal. Okay, so Michaela Cole, for the people who didn't read the piece and aren't familiar with her, which, I mean, if you're not familiar with her at this point, shame on you. Um, Michaela Cole pitched the show I May Destroy You, which is really like burning up people's like award watch lists, et cetera, right now. Um, she originally pitched it to Netflix because she had a deal with Netflix and they offered her a million dollars for the show, but she turned it down because she wasn't going to get any back end, which is like she didn't have any right. copyright for it, which is a standard thing that some channels and streaming services do. Creators don't really get back end and it kind of sucks. Then she found out that her agents might be getting some back end and they wouldn't really tell her what was going on. And so she walked away from a million dollars and took it somewhere else. One of the things that that really stuck out to me, especially in the, because I'm a big Michaela Cole stan now. I think you are too, Dana, right? Yeah, I I have been standing since the since the chewing gum yeah. days. I love Michaela. <laughs> she's Cole. she's brilliant. She's um a British Ghanaian woman who is immensely funny but way more complicated than just being funny. And um in the interview she talks a lot about how negative an experience it was to make chewing gum even though it won her like a couple BAFTA awards and it made her this kind of international sensation. I think she was 26 when it got made or something like that. Um but she talked about how like she was being kind of pushed around a lot. She, I think in, in show business or in any business where 
Um, there is no HR department and powerful people can basically act however they want. Um, it takes a lot of guts to talk shit about people who might be in a position to hire or fire you. And in this interview, Michaela Cole talked a little bit of shit. Um, Alyssa, I was wondering what you made of Michaela Cole being willing to stand up and kind of speak out against people by name. It's ballsy as hell. I mean, like, it's kind of like, I guess, when she decided to do this, it's like she made the biggest impact she could, right? And that's that's what it would take. And so she did. And I just, I mean, I had to keep rereading them because I was like, fuck, like, I would never have had the courage to do what she did. Um, but she did. Mm -hmm. And she's a fucking, like, some of the stuff that she was writing to, I just thought was, or that she was talking about, I thought was such a lesson. Like, when she talks about walking onto the set and there were, like, five Black actors in a trailer and this white actor in their own trailer, and she was like, fuck this shit. And the thing is, by speaking up, it did change. And so I think it is all a very good example of how, um, like, you just got to make people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Dana, have you ever been in a situation? I know that you're like, you've been in TV writers' rooms before, and you also work in podcasting, and you kind of have your like fingers in a bunch of different like facets of entertainment. Um, have there ever been situations where you have felt like you wanted to speak up, but you were like, this is a little too dangerous for me to say anything? I will say there are, have been several points where I'm just like, I feel too lucky to be getting anything where I don't speak up for myself because I'm like, oh, I'm just happy to be here. And I want to name drop in a good way and say, when I started Noah Blood, the podcast, like there were so many little decisions that I had to make with iHeartRadio who like, you know, are in charge of it. And my boss, basically like the head of it, Aaron Mankey, who created Lore, who was the one who like helped me create uh, Noble Blood basically taught was like, oh no, don't do that. No, we can just say, no, we're not going to do that. And he like turned down ads and was like telling me like, oh no, it's only going to be your voice. Like they would ask me to do something and I would be like, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Because I felt so grateful to be like in the room at all. And Aaron with like successful white man confidence was like, no, if you don't want to do that, you're not going to do that. And it was so like eye opening that I was allowed to like say no and push back on things where I was like every person at some point in their life needs a white guy calling shots for them. He's <laughs> said that you're allowed to do that. We should put that on the next hysteria t-shirt. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Alyssa, have you ever been in a situation professionally where you've been like, I should say something, but I'm not going to because I'm just happy to be here. And if you haven't, yeah. was there a, do you still do that? And if you don't still do that, was there, there a point in your life when it flipped? So I had a cause and effect, and that was uh, when we were at the beginning of the Obama campaign, we were switching over from, I had been the political director of the PAC, of Obama's PAC, and I just kind of like slid over to the campaign. And so what happened, which I didn't, none of this was known to me, what happened was the woman who became the head of HR just took my salary from the PAC and made it my salary on the campaign. So here I am with my new roommate, Juliana Smoot, who's the finance director, and we're talking about how we are going to split the rent. And I was like, well, I'll take the small room because this I can only afford to pay this much. She's like, girl, how do you manage your money? You can't afford more. And I was like, what do you mean? This is what I make. And she's like, girl, 
you do not make the right amount of money. You are a director on the campaign. And I was like, no, it's fine. I don't want to rock the boat. She took my Blackberry, Blackberry, away from me and pounded out a note to the woman who'd become the head of HR and was like, I think you misunderstand. I am a director. You must remedy this immediately. And she sends it without me seeing it, like without me being able to edit it. And she's like, you listen to me. You're, we're, not, we're not always going to be roommates. And you got to fucking stick up for yourself. Do you understand? And I was like, I understand. <laughs> fast forward, fast forward. I started at Vice Media after I left the White House. And I negotiated my deal. I'd been in public service my whole life. <laughs> Negotiating was like, do I get health insurance? And so <laughs> I get to Vice and I was there maybe four weeks. And I had not negotiated the deal with Shane Smith. Again, it was done separately. And Shane calls me into his office and he's like, I need you to know something. And I'm like, what? Oh, I had raised it. I had said to someone like, I don't think I make as much as everybody else does. And I sent Shane an email and I was like, I just want you to know, I I don't think I make as much as the other people of my ilk in the company. He called me up and was like, this has been fixed within 20, 20 minutes. He's like, this has been fixed. This was an oversight. It was a mistake. I had not seen the paperwork and he fixed it. And, you know, I could have gone on for years being like, you know what? This is so much more than I made in the White House. I should just be grateful. But I didn't. I had Smoot's voice in my head and I was like, the worst they can do is explain to me why I'm worth less. <laughs> so who wants to do that? And so anyway, I lucked out. Um, but if it had not been for Juliana taking my uh, BlackBerry in 2000, uh, late 2006, I'm not sure it. I would have ever connected those dots. Sometimes you need a person to like yeah. give you permission of like, that's a thing you're allowed to do. Like, I didn't even know. I was so like, young and dumb that I didn't even know you were allowed to ask. Right. It's mm-hmm. exactly right. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, once you, I didn't realize this until kind of later in my career, um, that once you're like getting compensated a certain way, or once you have certain benefits, the next job has to match it somehow, whether that is in a combination of whether a combination of how much you're getting paid, what your benefits are and how valuable it is to your career. Um, and some other, or or some other intangible thing or not. Um, I have this problem until like I started working in TV, um, where I would like negotiate down, like, you know, in the Midwest, like if somebody offers you something, you're supposed to be like, Oh no, I don't need you to (laughs) I don't know. Do you need yeah. a like? That's fine. Yeah. That's do you fine. need it? Do you it's need more a, than enough? Like, I, it's like you sit there. I'm cold, and they're like, Should I, "I have an extra jacket. I can get you a jacket." Oh no! Oh, no don't no, get no. me a jacket. Makes me tougher. I know. I was doing that. Also, I don't want to like say yes to somebody offering me something, and so like I would um, either take the first offer or like in some cases in the past, I'd be like, "Oh no, that's okay. I don't. I don't need extra this, or I don't need whatever." And So when I started working in TV and I had like agents who were negotiating on my behalf, they would come back to me and there was just no option because they get paid the more, the more you get paid, the more they get paid. And so there was just no option for me to be like, I don't, I don't need that. So I was like working on, I think a a deal for like the, this Apple TV show that I wrote for, for a season. And, um, they, you know, the offer came, my agents went back. And then they came back and they were like, and we also negotiated for this, this, and this. And they had like asked for things that were like way more than I would have 
asked for, but I was like moved by the spirit. And I asked them if I could get the production company to pay for me to fly my cat to Los Angeles. Hell yes. And they did. They did. They, um, because I had planned to move to LA in July and like come back and get my cat in September. And I got them to pay for me to fly back to Los Angeles, get my cat and fly her or back to New York, get my cat and fly her back to LA. And that was like just a, you know, whatever. It was like a minor thing, but I felt so proud of the fact that I negotiated an airplane ticket for Eleanor. Yes. Honestly, asking for a thing and standing up for yourself and like not being embarrassed about that is still something that I struggle with. That was like, to this day, it is a ridiculous thing. But also if they had turned me down, the stakes weren't that high. It wasn't like I was asking for like maternity care. It wasn't like I was asking (laughs) for like some basic ass shit that I needed to live. It was a thing that if they would have said no, I would have been like, okay, that's okay. So it was like good practice to ask for something ridiculous um, as like a first, can I can I do this? Can they, will they do it? Well, and you know, the other thing too, that's, that's so eye-opening about standing up for yourself is when people are like, I don't think so. And then you're like, if you never ask, you kind of never know someone's true colors. Right. Mm -hmm. So I'd had so many companies that were like, Hey, do you, can we just pick your brain? Can we pick your brain? And finally this company that had more than enough money was like, can we pick your brain? And I was like, how about we formalize the relationship? And I was so nervous. I had to like build myself up to say it on the phone call. And, you know, they did. It wasn't great, but, you know, it made me understand who they were as a person and I'm not working for them anymore. But that's kind of how I saw it after those two instances. It's like, if you don't ask, you don't really know where where these people, like where their head is at. Mm -hmm. And so it makes a big difference. I mean, and from the company side, like there are people working at the company, right? I mean, I'm not trying to go Mitt Romney corporations or people, my friend, but (laughs) if they can get something in a lot of cases, if they can get something for free from somebody, they're going to try to get something for free. They're not going to come out and be like, oh no, let me pay you. In, In most cases, you have to be the one to like, initiate some sort of financial relationship with them. And I have to say, reading the Michaela Cole, her like perspective and, and how strong she was, I was just thinking like she was about my age, maybe even a little younger when that Netflix deal came up. And I, in no world would have had the guts to one, turn down a million dollars and two, be able to challenge my reps. Because like, if my reps tell me a thing, I'm just like, I believe it. And reading that flipped a little switch in my head. Like this was the, an article that I can say made a tangible change in my life because I'm like, oh, oh, there are things that you have to take enough pride in your work that you can have faith and confidence in yourself down the line. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. I I wanted to pivot really quick to the Thandi Newton piece though, because she did a different sort of standing up for herself um, that wasn't as like, I mean, it was definitely something that could have affected her financially, but she talked a lot of shit on Tom Cruise in a way that was like very funny. And Dana, you used to work as an entertainment reporter. And I just want to hear, I read that and I was like, I wonder what Dana thinks about this. So what do you, what do you think about Thandie talking shit on Tom Cruise? That's like the one, the dream interview, right? That like to, so great job, Alex, and getting her to open up that way. I thought it was hilarious because she said the things about Tom Cruise that we like 
all secretly wanted to be true, but just couldn't. I think the detail that stuck with me is that he he metabolized a pinball <laughs> in like two hours. <laughs> she was like, I saw a red bump on his nose. And then an hour later at the party, it was a full-blown pinball. <laughs> and his body just was in hyperspeed. I was like, that's amazing. That's a detail that you couldn't make up. Anyway, um, the reason I wanted to talk about the Thandie Newton thing is because sometimes the risk that you take in speaking up and standing up for yourself is just to tell the truth about it's just telling the truth about what happened. It's not turning down a million dollar Netflix deal. Um, so I was wondering for both of you, have you ever had a had an instance where you could have spoken up against somebody who was like malignant or weird, but you didn't because you feared the consequences? 100%. I'm full on a coward when it comes to the idea of repercussions. Like there have been dudes like in LA who have been weird to me and, you know, like made me uncomfortable in certain ways or like asked for things. And like, I consider myself like a very outspoken and not brave, but like an outspoken person. And I have not named names because one, I just don't want to seem punitive. I don't want my persona to be associated with that. That's the real, another bravery thing is like, if you, you know, come out against someone then that's your Google autocomplete mm-hmm. if that, the news cycle catches up with it. And it's like, oh, what if I don't want to talk about this asshole for the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that yeah. reminds me a little bit of um, Megan Gans, who's an executive producer at Always Sunny and somebody I've worked with um, a few times and uh, her experience with Dan Harmon. And yeah. now, I mean, that's so brave. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, one thing is that whenever, you know, we talk about, harassment and problems in show business, it's like something that is in the mix and in the discussion. And I'd imagine if I were a person who had spoken up against somebody, I would kind of get annoyed with being contacted over and over again Mm -hmm. about telling my story over and over again, because it's sort of like you tell it and you just want to, you want it to be done, you know, and you, you don't really get it to be done. And you don't want to be like interrogated. You know what I mean? Like sometimes it's like, if you decide to say like, hey, this was shitty to me, this thing that happened, then like Twitter decides that you're on trial. It's like, it becomes, well, prove what it. did you? Yeah, prove it. And you're like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't notarize my text. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alyssa, do you have receipts that you haven't necessarily um, turned in and filed, so to speak? Yeah, there's only one. So I, there's only one that really comes to mind. And it was someone who, had done something more than I had, right? I, I deemed this person to have more experience. And uh, I disagreed with the decision that he was making. And I stood, uh, I, I sort of stood up to him and I started to say what I thought. And then he's like, I just hope you know that if you continue doing this, people are just going to think you're a bitch and not going to want to work with you. And it completely muzzled me. I was like, oh, shit, who wants to be a bitch? Now I'm fine. I mean, fine. Call me a cunt. I don't care. Um, <laughs> but back then I was just like, you know, little Alyssa in her Izod short sleeve shirt tucked into a gap striped skirt. And I just didn't want to be a bitch. I wanted, I thought that it would stop my trajectory, whatever that was. So yeah, someday, 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 maybe I'll be like, just so you fucking know, I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you you want to get to Bandy Newton point where you're like 45 years old, rich, stunningly gorgeous, successful, where you're like, 
I give no more fucks. I'm at that place where I can say exactly what I want. Yeah. I mean, speaking for myself, there are a few people that I'm waiting. uh, I'm waiting on them to die. And once they're dead, I will. I mean, look, I take good care of myself. I I plan on outliving a lot of my enemies. And once they have (laughs) died, I will talk mega shit. And or maybe I'll get brave before they die. But, you know, that's my backup plan is like the shit will be talked and it's all it all hinges on me outliving them. I am terrible and terrified at like the idea of burning bridges. Like I not that I even want to interact with this person anymore, but just the idea that there's someone out in the world who doesn't like me um, makes me viscerally anxious. Like Truly, like sometimes, like if I see someone on Twitter, like, you know, because you have a blue check mark, people are like, oh, they know you. And someone, if someone tweets like, oh, Dana Schwartz is annoying and I've never met that person. <laughs> I'm like, I'm annoying. I've never met you. Yeah. I'm a nice person. Like it hurts my feelings if even one person doesn't find me to their liking. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is also why I'm bad sometimes at being the fuck you bitch because I am not, I mean, I'm so sorry, please like me, bitch. <laughs> I'm so sorry, please like me, bitch. But also that I'm, gr- I'm trying to grow and evolve past that. I, these are things that I know are not uh, beneficial to me in the long Look, run. Look, I, I, <laughs> I, I think like- Get past the letting idea. Letting go of wanting people to like you is what leads to Stephen Miller. Like that's what happens when you don't care if anybody likes you or not. So like, I feel like the sweet spot is some kind of place in, in between where you are able to ignore, this is my like general rule, ignore the meanest 20 to 40% of things people say about you. And also ignore that percentage of the nicest things people say about you and pay attention to like your three-star reviews. People who are like, honest and not coming at you with any malice, but, you know, maybe aren't your biggest fan in the world and like, think about what those people are saying and then make a decision of whether or not that matters that you want to improve in that way. So like constructive criticism. Yes. Also like constructive praise. Like there is praise, I think that is like destructive. Like if you're just, Mm -hmm. if you're paying attention to just nice things that people are saying about you, then it's just not good. But constructive criticism is like, yeah, the middle, I think the middle ground is like the place between being somebody who is like, can't handle hearing anything bad, but also like doesn't care about hearing anything bad. Yeah. I think there also needs to be a reckoning personally, but for everyone with like, if you put work or put yourself out in the world, sometimes you just will not be someone's cup of tea Mm -hmm. and that's okay. Um, It's not okay for me and my heart, but I need to get better at that. (laughs) Well, I mean, sometimes people will stand up to you. Sometimes you're going to be the one that people are saying that they don't like for a legitimate reason or like for a reason that's legitimate to them. And like that. No, there's no legitimate reason anyone wouldn't like me. (laughs) No, it's true. You are a delight. I I think that that's like a thing as we each get better at like asking for what we feel that we're worth as we get better at speaking out when people treat us in ways that feel disrespectful, we also have to understand that we will be asked to give Mm -hmm. things and we will be asked, we will be stood up to. And that's just like us being part of the great circle of life. Um, And that segues nicely into a thing that I wanted to just briefly made fun, make fun of before we, um, before we get to uh, I feel petty There was a letter published in Harper's this week 
<laughs> Dana's making a face. Alyssa is, is shaking her head and rubbing her forehead just to paint you guys a picture. Um, there's a letter that is going to be published in Harper's uh, that was a sort of weird letter to the editor um, about how uh, cancel culture is bad. And it was signed by like J.K. Rowling and Salman Rushdie and and all of these, this really ragtag group of elite gatekeepers who have decided that um, that they needed to be the gatekeepers of people who get to engage with them. I don't know. It was a very, it was a very weird letter and, and it came across as very whiny. And um, I feel like every once in every couple months, there's something like this where it's like people who came of age before the internet don't, they, they just like cannot handle the fact that people are posting mean things about them on the internet. And so they write a letter about how this is like a symbol of the entire world falling apart. Um, Dana, since you were the first one to make a, an exasperated expression, <laughs> I wonder what you think about what's the difference between being J.K. Rowling and quote unquote standing up for yourself in a letter that gets published in Harper's and being somebody like a a TV creator or an author who's asking, uh, who's standing up for themselves or against bullying. So here is my reading of what J.K. Rowling is doing. That letter, if you read it, is just like, it doesn't say anything. It's just like, it's vague and it's like, yeah, I, like nothing about it matters or is consequential or interesting. It just is the, the most vague letter in the world. And then only by who signed it can you read between the yes. lines and think like, okay, what is this vague thing trying to say? And I think what those people are saying is like, freedom of speech is so good as long as it's not the freedom of speech that you're using to say you disagree with my speech. Because, right, like, what, what consequences has, what cancellation has J.K. Rowling faced other than people on the internet being like, we don't like you, we don't like this opinion, which is, I guess, by her definition, like, you're right of freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's why I'm like, okay, that letter was so weird because it said absolutely nothing to the point where you're like, there's so much going on in the world right now. There's like a pandemic and, and police state violence. Like you're writing this vague nonsense Mm -hmm. because people are criticizing you on Twitter. Like what consequences is J.K. Rowling faced for, for, for being transphobic? (laughs) Yeah. For saying like, it's not like she had a a valid opinion of something. She was being hateful. And like, and I have to be honest, you guys, I had to read the letter like a couple times because I'm like, I think I'm having reading reading comprehension issues. Like, <laughs> No, they're all bad sentences. Like, I was like, I literally, like I got the piece of paper out and I went sentence by sentence because I'm like, I don't get, I, I and I'm not being trying to be funny. Like I, I really read it and was like, I don't understand what exactly they're saying here. But you're right. Once you read the signatories, you're like, oh, I get it now. I feel like it's, it's like free speech to them means... I should be able to speak without it ever costing me anything. Right. Like I should say whatever and it doesn't cost me anything. It doesn't even cost me having to hear other people disagree with me. Yeah. But my problem with like the name cancel culture is that it's so general that people refer to it and mean a bunch of different things where it's like, okay, there is something under the umbrella of cancel culture where I'm like, all right, that's a little too far, where it's like, you know, going back 10 years for maybe like one joke tweet and like in bad faith, then trying to, you know, have people lose their job. Or if someone makes like a genuine misstep or mistake, 
and then they're a private citizen. Like they're not a public figure, you know, like is the book, like, so you've been publicly mm-hmm. shamed. Like, I think, okay, there, are, there is somewhere in the conversation of cancel culture for like nuance. We're like, okay, internet pylon culture is a thing. And, you know, some private citizens are maybe, you know, more exposed to this than others. And, but that is like the opposite of what is happening with JK Rowling, who is, who didn't make a mistake, who actively is stating opinions she has, who is the most wealthy and powerful writer in the world with the the biggest platform possible, who has not faced any actual consequences other than just people telling her that they disagree with her. The problem with the letter is that it followed some of the same arc as Donald Trump's crazy 4th of July speech about cancel culture, where it just encompassed everything that was against him right? It's not like he was actually making any sort of specific case. He was just like, cancel culture is going to ruin this country. Subtext, anytime someone criticizes anything, I do. And like, that's the problem. You can't like, it's just, it's no, it's no. And they should have been able, as smart people who are the heads of some universities, they should have been able to like fucking read the room. I mean, I thought it was funny that Barry Weiss signed it and she is like the queen of like tattling on people's employers for using swears online. So it's just like, how what did do you she mean? get included? I, like, don't, like, I don't know. I feel like she just kind of shows up places. Like you could mm-hmm. just be, I feel like if you're in New York media, you, you're you like, uh, you get lost in like uh, a party at, you know, David French's apartment or whatever, and you open a supply closet and there's Barry Weiss. Like she's just, yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I didn't realize you were in here. I'm everywhere. <laughs> also cancel culture is, the word canceled started as slang in a really cool way. We're like, this celebrity's canceled. Like, of course they're not actually canceled. It's just like a funny slang to say, I have decided that I'm not going to like, I don't like them anymore. Like uh, an individual fan saying, uh, I don't know, Jay-Z's canceled or whatever. That's kind of, it's funny and clever. And like the teens came up with it and God bless them. And now a bunch of like middle-aged adults bad middle-aged adults have taken it and not quite understood what it meant and twisted it into something else. It's like the word shade. As soon as, as soon as, the, <laughs> the, as soon as the grownups, as soon as the like mainstream learned about shade, they like didn't understand what it meant and used it to death. And it, now it means nothing. And Karen, and Car- Karen was, Karen was good for 10 Karen minutes. Was good for 10 <laughs> minutes. And now it means Absolutely nothing. Um, I feel like the same thing has happened with canceled because in Donald Trump's crazy speech on the 4th of July and in a few crazy tweets before it, he seemed to imply that he thinks that it means when somebody is literally like something is literally like an event is canceled. Like when Ivanka yeah. was was disinvited from speaking at a Koch brothers friendly college in the middle of America, that that was cancel culture. And it was not cancel culture. Cancel culture would have been uh, people digging up old tweets that Ivanka wrote in college or something and trying to get her fired from her job, which will never happen because of nepotism culture, which is (laughs) more durable than any cancel culture could ever possibly be. I also, it's like, they think it's like that episode of Black Mirror with like John Hamm. I think it's the John Hamm one, maybe not, where it's like, if you get canceled, like then no one can see or interact with you and you're just a fuzzy blob. Do you know that? They think it's like, oh, you become a non-person. It's like, what? They they always go on and on about like, 
oh, it's about freedom of debate of the marketplace of ideas. And it's like, JK Rowling, no, you're still on Twitter. You're still like publishing your essays with your full terrible opinions and getting read and engaged with. Is that not the debate you want? You have a billion dollars. Like you don't need to, it's like, J.K. Rowling has a billion dollars and she was on a walk one day and she saw a hornet's nest and she was like, I'm going to stick my hand in here. And then she (laughs) sticks her hand in. It gets stung a bunch. She pulls it out. She's like, I shouldn't be getting stung. And she puts her hand back in. And it's like, you can, you cannot do that. You can just, (laughs) it's like, what physically does she want to change in the world that would make debate with her a, a bigger possibility. Like she, everyone in the world had to engage with her shitty essay. Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I, cho- I chose to uh, sing a song to my cat and dog. Whatever song it was. There were, that's the song <laughs> <laughs> they each had a verse and it was a really good song. And I sang it to Josh and he was like less than impressed. Um, Okay, that's all the time we have for personal political. Um, I'm glad we all get to talk about standing up for ourselves, what the difference is between standing up for yourself and being a big whiner. Um, But let's Hmm. take a quick break. And when we come back, I feel petty. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the friend of the pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Hey, everybody, before we get to I Feel Petty, a little bit of housekeeping. So as we mentioned last week, our special Man Cannot Speak for Her t-shirt and Tank Hysteria merch dropped, and it looks awesome. We put Man Can Speak for Her on these shirts, uh, partly to honor the 100th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment, which was the start to getting to the point where we need to get, which is where all women are voting. So as we continue the fight for voting access for all women, we honor that. We honor the 100th anniversary of the beginning of that long journey. So they're actually selling really well. I have both the tank and the t-shirt because they sent them to me. They just appeared in my mailbox and I love them. They're super soft and comfy and they're very flattering on and they're in really cute colors and they're selling really well. So if you want to grab one, you should go to crooked.com slash store now and show the world that you're committed to the ongoing fight for voting access for all women. And if your size is sold out, you can join the waiting list and you'll be notified as soon as they're back in stock. I know we've already restocked the smalls. So if you can't get the size you want, just you know, wait around. It'll probably be back. Also, if you want to get in touch, give us feedback. If you have um, something that you want to say to us, um, but not, not not anything too mean, because if it's too mean, I'll just forward it to everybody at Crooked and we'll laugh at it. Um, you can send us mail at hysteria at crooked.com. I can see that inbox. So can Caroline. And um, so if you're trying to send me something private or Caroline something private, you're best just reaching out to us individually. But hysteria at crooked.com if you want to talk to us about something you've heard on the show. Okay, now let's get to I Feel Petty. (music) 
And welcome back. We are almost at the end of the show, but before we get there, we're going to talk a little bit about things that we care a lot about that don't matter very much. It's called I Feel Petty. Um, Alyssa, Dana, which of you wants to start this week? I can start. Okay. Alyssa, what do you feel petty about? Um, so I have, I like have a hard time falling asleep, even with weed. And so I try to listen to podcasts to help me go to sleep. But most of the ones I like are too interesting. So they keep me awake. So I was like, (laughs) maybe I'll just like listen to a show that can put me to sleep. And so I tried Veep because I've seen it a hundred times. And like that didn't work because it's funny and I would laugh. So I started watching The Bold Type. Because I'm like, oh, this will put me to sleep. It's not very good. It's so bad. It kept me awake (laughs) until like three in the morning. I... Like, I don't actually like to criticize, like, work that people do. I mean, unless it's, like, offensive, you know, which I actually kind of found this to be because I'm like, oh, people worked hard and, like, this show isn't meant for me. But it was so – I, I like, it's in – it's had multiple seasons. Like, my brain just literally exploded that this had been picked up for, I think, like, three or four seasons. And I was like, first – I'll start with the first, I started with the first season. I'm like, maybe it gets better. So I jumped ahead. And anyway, I just had to say my mind was blown by how bad a show it was and that it keeps getting picked up. You just have to like lean into the, I have watched the bull type. And? I will not defend it. Okay. But I will say, I will say you, you enjoy it if you just accept it's, it's uh, glossy New York reality and fancy clothes. You just have to like look. It's like a soap opera. But here's just the look thing. Just look at the nice clothes. Here's the thing. The same could be said of Sex in the City. But at least yeah. Carrie was a pithy writer. Jane's not smart. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, she's like Jane this, is a bad journalist a bad and a bad writer. Journalist. It's like, you know, also you're like, I mean, no, that was really it. Because I was sitting there and I was like, well, maybe this is like the 2020s version of Sex in the City, which back then I loved. And so I'm mean, honestly, I still watch it. But I was like, but that's what stopped me. I was like, nope, Carrie was at least a decent writer. Who <laughs> And Jane is boring, bland, and not a good writer. Bad at her job. Bad at her job. You know, I don't know if you've seen this, but this might be the antidote to The Bold Type because it has a similar, hmm. I haven't watched The Bold Type um, because I was like, no. That doesn't surprise me. I was like, no. I'm not watching this. Aaron, you've worked in media. It's you're, it's. Gonna I was like, <laughs> I, I lived it. I was there during the Wild West days of Jezebel. They sent me to the Republican convention in 2012. I know some shit. Um, but I, uh, I watched. Have you seen Younger? The yes, Darren, Younger's cute. Younger is I love is Younger. very good, and I feel like it has a little bit of a glossy New York feel to it, but it leans into it in a way that's very self aware. And yeah. like, it's fun. Darren Star, yeah, baby. Speaking of sex in the mm. city. Okay. Uh, here's the thing I feel petty about this week, guys. Um, it is summer, even though it feels like it could be any day because of the pandemic. It's made every, it's made time weird, but it's summer, which is, uh, which means in a lot of places in the country, it is a berry picking season uh, where you can, you can still go to a farm and get a bucket and pick berries. And it's actually kind of a safe way to spend your time because you're outside and you're spaced out from people and stuff. Um, I'm just going to say berry picking sucks. It is not a fun activity. It is not a good way to spend an afternoon. Like it is a job that we should pay the people who do it a lot more to do for sure, because it really, really sucks and is not fun. Apple picking fun, berry picking 
not fun. If you have to lean over and get like little things out of the, the close to the ground, it's not fun. But if you were reaching up and picking something from a tree, it is fun. Um, berries and bushes, raspberries, blackberries, super not fun. You get prickers. Yes, you get like you get pricked. You get uh, ticks up in Wisconsin where I grew up. You could get wood ticks. Um, it, bears sometimes are around. It is not a good way to spend your time. Let the professionals do it and advocate for fair pay for the professionals who do do it. That's how I feel about it. I agree picking. with you. I will say one that one time my family, my parents and my sister and I were driving up to Wisconsin to go apple picking. And on the way, we passed a billboard for a Renaissance fair. And collectively, my family said, that would be hilarious. What if we did that instead? And we did. And it was very funny. And uh, I highly recommend it. <laughs> Do pictures? Yeah, I suppose. You got to gram them. Yeah, we are all, we're like cynical Jews. So we are, we are not in the spirit of it. So we are just all in our street clothes while people around us I don't are know. very into Dana, it. the cynical Jew characterization I take a little issue with because I have seen pictures of your family in matching overalls, which <laughs> I think is a maybe counter argument. Well, counter argument, we're adorable. <laughs> That's true. You are adorable, <laughs> if not cynical. Um, okay, Dana, what do you feel petty about this week? All right. My petty hill is that America should be allowed to be in Eurovision. If you don't know Eurovision, <laughs> they made a Netflix movie about it, but it's a real thing that I have watched genuinely for years because I love it. It's like high camp where every country in Europe uh, submits a song and then a performer to perform a song and then the other countries vote on who the winner is. So it's like, it's like People are always confused. They're like, oh, well, can you just send like One Direction? It's like, well, you wouldn't want to because it would be like sort of embarrassing. It's like the voice level talent. You know, mm -hmm. it's like like people who are up and coming and maybe have like, you know, a, an EP on Spotify. But it um, it's campy and it's fun. And I think America should be allowed in. One, because like Israel and Russia are in it and they're not like Europe proper and Iceland. And the thing is, it's very cathartic because a lot of countries also deal with colonial anger through Eurovision voting, where like countries <laughs> always vote against England because they hate England. Uh, what about Belgium? You know, and I, I, Belgium did some really awful shit. Do they get voted against? Yeah. I feel like people do vote okay. against Belgium. I can't remember Belgium ever Good. doing well in Eurovision. <laughs> Good. They have um, not gotten enough heat for how shitty they've been. I feel like the idea of American exceptionalism would be really challenged in a good way. If we have to join in this collective competition that's like fun and campy and and uh, then all the other European countries would vote against us and we realize that everyone hates us, I think it would be good for the world. And I think they should have, we're not in Europe, but I think they should have pity on us and let us in as an act of uh, benevolence and charity and collective. Healing. What if we just did a Western Hemisphere version of Eurovision where it was us and every country in the Western Hemisphere? We would get would the fun. shit voted against us so often. We would get the crap beaten out of us, but it would be a lot of fun to watch like people from every different country in South and Central America, Canada. I think it'd be cool. Like the Bahamas, let's Jamaica. Do, let's do um, um, America's vision. Yes, but not call it Americas. We need to come up with like some kind of Western Hemisphere type play Word. on words. Yeah, for sure. That's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. We need, I do, I do think the idea of American exceptionalism would be challenged if we see uh, ourselves brutally beaten by performers in latex and glitter. <laughs> okay, 
I can, yeah, I, I support that also. I think it'd be great. Eurovision is so fun. Everyone should watch it. It was canceled in 2020, obviously, but like <laughs> it is the live event, live television event that everyone should be watching. Okay, well, let's hope- You know I'm doing this tonight now instead of the bold type. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, watch, watch old Eurovision performances on YouTube. It will delight you. I can't wait. That sounds awesome. Well, I'm glad we found you an alternative, Alyssa. Um, Thank you, Therapy. <laughs> hysteria comes through again. That's all the time we have on this week's episode. Thank you, Alyssa, for stopping by. As always, thank you, Dana, for also stopping by. It was great seeing you. And thanks to all of you for listening. There will be more Hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. Our editor is Sarah Barrett, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support and to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadina Malconian for filming and editing our video content every week. <laughs>